Good morning, okay, I hope to have a sheer next Sunday morning. Sunday morning after that, I can't promise, but uh, next Sunday is still two weeks from uh, Pesach, so I'm not totally going to have to call in and uh, seven-hour differential. We were at the beginning of the very tragic speeches, I don't want to call them droshes, of Rav Shake, the Apikaris, the renegade, the traitor, the Benedict Arnold, whatever you want to call him. I don't know, Benedict Arnold still claims he wasn't a traitor? Or was that, a, or was that not a shayla? Uh, he was, unfortunately, a traitor, and he had an axe to grind, and he was a Shana Pirish, which <coughs> makes him even more troubling and dangerous. The Pasuk we left off with, I'd like to go back one Pasuk, Malachim Beis, Perik Yudches. Let's go back to Pasuk Chavav. Perik Yudches, Pasuk Chavav. The delegation of Al-Yakim and Shevna and Yayach was sent by Chizkiyah HaMelech to try to talk to, or should I say reason with, Rav Shake. Rav Shake is sent by Sancheirev to talk them into surrendering, promising them to bring them to a land much like Eretz Yisrael didn't promise a better land because that would be left let, uh, met with uh, misbelief or disbelief and uh, they would look at him like... Uh, he was out of his mind. And interestingly enough, Sancheirev admitted that. He just said, don't worry, I'll take you alive. I take my conquered nations and I move them a thousand miles away. And there's nothing to worry about. Well, there's plenty to worry about because I can imagine when he moved people on forced marches a thousand miles away, many of them didn't survive. That's the first problem, even though he claimed everything was going to be just fine. And of course... If you're from Africa and you're being moved to Turkey, the collateral damage is never pleasant, but not that bad. It doesn't make where you live and which God you accept. You're an Ovid of Arazar anyway. It doesn't make a difference. We're talking about Klai Yisrael here. They belong in Eitz Yisrael, and as bad as things were, and the Yisrael Shvatim. Can't say none of it's going on, Mayhuda, but it was slightly better, and Chizkiyo was succeeding thus far in getting them to learn and do tshuva, and they weren't ready for Gullus, they weren't interested in Gullus, and hopefully they're not going to be deserving of Gullus. Rav Shake doesn't believe any of this. He's pretending, there's a pentaliyid somewhere, we just haven't found it yet, and I hate to break the news to you with him, we're not going to find it. What happens in the LMMS is uh, not our business, but he's trying to portray himself as an atheist, agnostic, or worse, and there is worse, and representing uh, Sanchayr from being well <coughs> funded in his effort. He's going to try to convince them again and again, we have three different drushes here, on why it's futile to resist, and Chizkio is not. Here for your interests. Also, it's a Lush and Har. shame will be a better description. And he destroyed your altars and took away your Sefer of Fuwas, which he doesn't spell out, but I'm sure he added it to his list, and ground up your famous Nachash. And he's not on your side, and he's selling you the Brooklyn Bridge by telling you that you're going to survive and Hashem's going to help you. These words were very 
hurtful and obviously very demoralizing, certainly for the people standing on the wall. And he said it loud enough for many of the people in the city to hear him. In the middle of the conversation, and we'll pick up in Pasuk Anachnu. He said, please, we have a request. Can you switch from Lashon HaKadosh to Aramis? We're part of the uh, cabinet. We're trained in many languages. And therefore, we can understand you. But the advantage will be the people sitting on the wall and the people inside the city will not understand you because this is demoralizing. As in Jewish, Yiddish, Lashon HaKadosh. It wasn't Yiddish then, but that's where the, uh, we've all had uh, somebody in our uh, youth come over and ask if we know Jewish. I first heard as a little boy, I didn't know what in the world they were talking about. The old lady looked nice, but I didn't know what she was referring to. Mamish, please speak Yehudis, that's what the Pesach says. This is Jewish, Jewish, uh, today means Yiddish, which is Yiddish translation of Jewish, here it meant Moshna Kedish. So uh, please don't speak that. Certainly the people listening close by because they're going to have yish, and we don't want them to have yish, do we? So you might be wondering, they're talking to Rav Shake. Of course he wants them to have yish. That's why he's screaming and yelling on top of his lungs, giving over this message in Lashon HaKadosh. So what were they thinking? Do they think this is going to move him? It doesn't, unfortunately, but what were they thinking? The answer is, they were hoping, it's the only shot I have, they were hoping to reach out to the Pintaliyid. They grew up with him. They might have been in yeshiva with him. They might have been in his shir. And this man is beyond dangerous. And the forces he represents are incredibly dangerous. He's more dangerous because if they have bitachan and they don't fall apart, they'll beat Sancherv, which... Ultimately, they will. If Rav Shaki keeps talking like this and they keep listening, they're going to be demoralized. So they said, please, sir, can you just tone it down and switch to Aramis, Latin, Polish, whatever you want. We know every language. We work here in the palace. Just anything but Lashon HaKadosh. So he probably looked at them and said, what do you think I'm doing here? Well, he didn't even bother spelling that out. He's just going to speak louder. And say more demoralizing things. That's what he's here for, unfortunately. But they didn't realize that it sounds almost like they wanted him to do maybe to increase his wishes or something. How could they not realize that that's. It's, you know, we don't give up on the Pintaliyid, even though this time it's not going to work. But uh, this, you know, when you're dealing with Kapos and the, and the camps. I'm sure there were conversations where the kapo was threatening this, that, and the other thing, and somebody in the barracks said, uh, Chaim, you don't really want to do that. You don't really mean that, do you? So sometimes, I would imagine, I wasn't there, sometimes they back down and try to do the right thing. Most of the time, that just got them more nervous, like you're, like you're suggesting. I have nothing to lose but to try. So he might get more angry, have something to lose. He was pretty vicious at the moment, and yes, he he tries to uh, increase his volume and his uh, venom, but they got to try. It's the only shot we have over here. It doesn't make any sense otherwise. Like they they weren't born yesterday. 
Yaakov, what you're suggesting, I just want to strengthen your question, is there was one fellow in this group, there's Al-Yakim, and there's Shevna, and there's Yayach. Shevna is going to be another renegade. Not as bad as Rav Shake in what he ends up saying, but just as dangerous and almost uh, more disastrous than the results. Because he starts sending messages to Sanchayrov above, literally and figuratively, above Rav Shake's head. How do you send a message to Sanchayrov if you're part of the king's cabinet inside? You can't unless you want to be executed, unless you figure out a way to get the message. You know, in the olden days, how'd they get messages? So uh, we would say 50 years ago, they had a shortwave radio. Today, he'll send a text. Then they had arrows. So he took a note, wrote a note, sent an arrow. It's all from the Gemara. I'm not, I'm not, uh, so that I'm making it up. I don't make anything up. It's not my conjecture. The Gemara says that he wanted to show Sanchair that he's really part of the cabinet, but he also had Yish, and uh, this Melech is really not dealing with reality, and uh, we'd like to surrender, but we can't. So he wrote it on a note, and he sent it with an arrow. And the Melech sort of sent back a message that if you mean business, why don't you come with your people? And the Gemara goes on to describe that he had a whole entourage, and Chizkiyo HaMelech was very scared of him, more scared of him, the Shevna fellow. We hear less about him in the Pasuk, but more in Tarsh Malpeh. He was more dangerous in a way than Rav Shaki, because he's coming from the inside, and if he comes to a large enough delegation, then that's going to be de facto a surrender. And Chizkiyo was concerned because this Shevna was a gavra in the city, and he was actually uh, running some sort of yeshiva and had a lot of Tamidim, and maybe even more than Chizkiyo, Chizkiyo had many, and the right of the people might have been either on his side or he's going to convince them to be on the side. And Rav Shake is such a powerful person, Chizkiyo said, if he has the right, maybe Hashem's going to pass him like him and hand over the city because we don't deserve it. It's all Gemara. And the uh, famous answer that Akash Baruch gives to Chizkiyo is that uh, you have a good kasha based on Rav. This looks very serious. Again, more dangerous than Rav Shaki is on the outside. He's a paid employee of Sancheyev. Okay, screaming and yelling, but uh, Sancheyev always had the roiv, but Sancheyev, Chizkiyo, no, didn't count. He's the Russia. The Russia always has this vast army that's about to take over. It happened in the time of Hanukkah, it happened before, it happened after. That he's not overly concerned about, but this Shevna is from amongst the people, and he looks orthodox and knows how to learn, which he did, and was depressed, which he was, and wanted to give up. He didn't see the sense in everybody getting killed. Remember, contrast our Gemara and Brochus from two weeks ago, where Biacham and Zakai had the same Achleikis with the Biryanim in the opposite direction. So there's no one party line, we always surrender or we never surrender. There is no such thing. You've got to look at the circumstances and ask that's terror. There, Biacham and Zakai said, it doesn't make any sense. Surrender is better to be alive and have Yavne rather than either be dead, or just get dispersed and be totally assimilated. And the Biyanim said, no, you got to fight. So there, Biyanim and Zakai had to, so to speak, send the arrow. He just got himself smuggled out. And he saved the day. And here, it's, it's confusing if you just look at Jewish history and it's one big blur and you don't learn Navi and you don't learn the Gemaras, you can get very confused. Like, do we surrender or don't we? The answer is we don't have a one-size-fits-all. depends on what's going on. So here, Chizkiah says stay put because the Navi said stay put because Hashem said stay put. If you continue to learn and do tshuva, you'll be fine. And not only is Avshake screaming and yelling outside the gate, Shevna is preparing to surrender with what might be the majority of the people. So Koshbaruch tells Chizkiah Melech, 
Don't worry, he looks like he has a rave, and if you take a head count, he does have a rave, but it's a Kesher Rishon, the Kesher Rishon ain't him in a minion. They don't count. That line, that famous line was said about Chevna. Rav Shake didn't count, even though he sounded dangerous and was very demoralizing because he was part of some Chayyar's camp. Of course they had the majority, and we can't look at the Gaiyush army invading because they always have the majority. So, the famous line of Kesher Hashem and Minyan is don't worry about numbers against you because you have to know who counts in the eyes of Hashem. And that number is the only number that makes a difference because HaKosh Baruch Hu is passing in the Shailas. And that's what's important over here. Shevna didn't show his true colors yet because here he's in the Pasuk and Chavav as the delegation said, Barchizkiyo to deal. So Yaakov, what you're mentioning, maybe this is what you were thinking, is that maybe Shevna Dafka said this to get him angrier to hasten the downfall. Maybe, but al Yakim and Yoyach were not on his team. They were on Chizkiyo's team and they were the majority and he didn't show his true colors yet. It's like, can't imagine they would let him get away with it. It sounds like this was a request from all three of them. So the only shot we have left is that they were appealing to his neshama, to the Pintaliyid, and say, look, uh, we know you're paid for this, and we know you need a job, we know you're depressed, but no reason to take everybody else down with you. And for the time being, and for the rest of the story, I'll be I don't know what Rav Shoke was thinking. We don't know what happens to him afterwards, by the way because Sancheirv is going to lose his entire army overnight, Lel Pesach, and there are very few survivors. A few of them were left by Kosh Baruch Hu for a later day. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, a couple of his kids. Different shittas, how many people? Three, four. Doesn't talk about Rav Shake. We don't know what happened to him, but Pasha says he died. I mean, deserved it, unfortunately. But we're not going to hear much from him Afterwards, because there's nothing going to be left from the army of Sancheirv, and he was one of the reps. Shevna, we know what happened. Unfortunately, he is told by Sancheirv to bring his people and show he means business, and he starts walking out of the city, and the Malak came and shut the door on everybody else, and he's walking. If it wasn't so sad and tragic, it would be comical. He's walking and walking, and he gets to the camp, and he said, who are you? He says, I'm Shevna, the one who sent the arrow. The message is, okay, where's like 51% of the population? Is that right behind me? And they weren't. Now, obviously it means that um, they were stopped, but they were nice, but he didn't know that, and it was at the very last minute, because they were behind him a minute ago. He wasn't a nar. You know, you kind of wonder, even if you don't look behind you, you're supposed to have like thousands of people. They, they make a noise. Why did he notice that? The answer is the last minute the Malach was sent to stop them and they stayed in the city against their own desire because they thought he was right. And Kosh Baruch sometimes saves people from their own designs and they were saved in the city and he was tortured and killed by some Sancheir who thought he was making jokes. But what kind of ridiculous proposal is this? You come alone? What do you, what do you think? Uh, I'm here to play games? So we know he was tortured and killed Mavshake, we just, uh, we're going to hear plenty from him now, and after it's all over, we're never going to hear from him again. Both, Mavshake or Shavna, which one? They're both Roshan, yeah. And they're both just as dangerous. Shavna was more dangerous. He almost, Mavshake is just screaming and yelling, and we're trying to have him tone down the rhetoric. What? But because of his past, because of his... Mavshake or Shavna? Yeah, that's what's so tragic about those. Like, I don't know what grade Mavshake got to in Cheder. 
He was clearly once, he knows too much. You can listen to the rest of the drushas. He knows too much to be an outsider. Which is why one Adam and the Gemara, which I'm going with for the for Malach over here, is that he was a Yisrael Mummer. He was not a guy sent as the spokesman. Shevna is, yes, doing better for longer because he's still part of Chizkiyo's cabinet. And he's being sent. There are only three people in the entire city sent to deal with him. He's obviously a man of stature. But in short order, I guess after hearing Rav Shaki's rushes, he gets demoralized as well, and then he decides, he says, you know what, this is not going to work. The pella of the story is there are very few people strong enough in their Bittachan and Amuna to remain standing to see this through. Every, it's yeah, quite some Lamraglam also men of stature and they um, saw giants and a well fortified country and their knees got weak and you know what? I'm not saying you can't blame them as they were Rashaim and they, they lost Alam Habba from Total Lashonari to Israel. So we hope we would have done better. But putting the Maraglam aside, when they told over their report, as we know from Pasha Shlach, most of Klaisel got demoralized. That's why they got punished and didn't get to go. So this is a very uh, frightening Before they gave the report, before they got back, well, they went with an agenda. And there are many refers from what the agenda was. People say it over incorrectly, to my mind. They say they, they wanted to keep their jobs and they were violent. It's, it's set up, you have to know what that means. That means that they felt the Kleisrael could use more time in the midbar to sit and learn a kailah with the Ananim and the Mon and everything, and it wasn't time to go yet. And what, but Lemaise, at the end of the day, per the Joshua yesterday, you can't second guess a Kosh Baruch's mitzvah. Hashem said, it's going to Israel. You can't stop making up your own, design your own religion. That was, that was the real mistake. It was like a chet egel, so to speak. They, they decided, this is what Hashem wants. Well, why don't you ask Hashem what he wants? And stop deciding what Hashem wants. Or listen to what he wants through his Navi. In this case, there was no Navi telling them what Oh, there was. His name was Yeshayo. And he said quite clearly... Sent the message and he will say it again. We're not, we're not finished with his nevuas. They, they, they knew. They knew. It was, again, it's hard to listen. We always think, we're looking, we're pounding on the nevuas, like, why don't you, Yeshayo, for Yeshayo, stay there, we'd listen. Well, you know what? We have Chumashim in front of us. Shas, Paiskim, Shulchan says a lot of things, and we don't always listen either. Even though that's quite preferable, and we're Maminim, but Maminim. Yes? Yes, so normally that principle is true when you have no inkling that you're deserving of such an ace. They had another here. Yishayo was telling them, unlike what will be later by Rabbi Yechem and Yishalayim, here there will be an ace. You need an ace. You won't win this without an ace. And since you're learning so stark and every base measure is filled till one in the morning and everybody knows Tumas and Tyrus Medan Vad Sheva and you're doing tshuva, you will get an ace. That's the difference. Otherwise, you have to make that chilek. They're standing by the Amsuf. We're going to relive this in a few weeks over Pesach, and uh, there's nowhere to go. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, just march on. So I'm sure somebody asked, well, that's going to take an ace. Don't we have a claw in some claw and ace? And says, of course you have a claw, except for the CSSIM, Kriyas Yamsuf, Samcher, and a few other wonderful episodes. But uh, normally you can't run your personal life like this because Nechatesi, you're going to be Zechi. We're talking about the remnants of Klayasol. This is all that's left. So uh, here they're being told there should be some Michalanes. And the other people know that were saying that we're not, we're not Zeche, you know, false Anivas. We're not Zeche, Hashem's not going to do it, and Hashem doesn't like us anymore, and let's give up, and let's get depressed, and that's what Achaz did, and that's what Menashe will do, and that's what Rav Shaki is doing, and that's what Shevin is going to do. And 
you sort of understand it, but Lamaisa, uh, it was the wrong thing to do. So that's the prelude into Shevna, who's still standing on the right side of the law right now. Yes? The password that Mishyahu didn't manage to say it's not 100% clear. There were a few Nevoas given, and we'll get back to it, and please remind me when we do. Uh, he's going to say it a few times. It's possible it was said, and it was only said privately thus far. And that was part of the Nisayan. You'll say, well, if Chizkiah had an inkling, it was an unfair advantage. Not necessarily. Because, uh, because of his madrega, he was told to be Mechazikin because he could see it through. But it will be very clear later, and Shevna is still going to try to go, and Rav is not going to do tshuva. I, I will say one positive thing for Rav Shake, a very powerful medrash, which uh, when we get there, uh, remind me to, to say over in its uh, proper form of the short version now. When it came time for the nace, it was Pesach. And they had a base of Mikdash Baruch Hashem, and they plan on bringing the carbon. When you bring a carbon, you got to sing Hallel. There's going to be a Taina on Chizkiel's Madrega later. After the days, why didn't he sing Shiro? We have to explain what that means, because no doubt he said thank you in many different ways. And it was Pesach, and they were, they were singing. Okay, he didn't sing enough for whatever reason we'll have to try to explain later. But when they brought the carbon Pesach, they were saying Hallel, and when you eat the carbon Pesach, you say Hallel. When we have Leil Seder during the Agada, we say Halal. It's half of it. They divided it up. It's a whole Shaila. Why it was divided up? There's a shortage of space, just the Pasha Prat in Yushalayim. And Gagas Vali is learning Scotches. They had to eat the carbon Pesach on the first floor. So the always Chabur is trying to get in. So they, actually, they said the first half, and then they finished the Agada upstairs on the roof, which was not the Scottish for Achidas Akarabim. And the other Chabur went in, and they, and they continued over there. Shaila, why they broke it up the way they broke it up. But Halal is broken up. In case you had Nusra it says Halal after davening. But um, we, uh, we break it up in the Agada. The question is uh, why and what was, what was the background to that? Not for now. Rav Shake was standing outside the wall and he heard the singing and he heard the Avedah and he heard the, uh, about the Akravasakarab and the fact they were doing the Seder, which was a tremendously important thing for their focus in Betachan Amunah. Here we are. They're surrounded by 185,000 troops. Half the city, or 51, or 55, or 60% of the city thinks they're doomed. And Chizkiel just keeps holding the line and said, just do the Avedah and keep doing Tshuva, and Hashem's going to save us. And Pesach is a great month and a great Yantif <laughs> to be saved. And he keeps giving drushes on the inside. And then uh, Klai Yisrael comes through and they start doing the Aveda with his lavas and they start singing. And Chizkiyo is on the inside eating the carbon as is everybody else. And Rav Shaka is on the outside and he is with a pintal yid. Maybe the drusha had an effect. Maybe the request to say it, uh, to say it in Aramis, Polish, French, or anything else had an effect because when he smelled the carbon and heard the shiva, he went up to Sancheyev and said, Your Highness, I don't know how to say this, but I think you should run for the hills because you're in big trouble. And he left, left him off. For all I know, probably executed him for a line like that. I don't know, because we don't know what happened at the end. And the next morning, everybody was dead. So, for a finale, this part's conjecture. But for a finale, the last thing we know from Avshake was sort of a mixus that Hashem Uelakim and Your Highness with all your men and all my drushes, you're in big trouble. Which is a Peladic ending to so it's 
possible that's how he died. If I was Sancheirv, which I hope never to aspire to be, a yid goes up, I would start screaming, yelling at him, ah, a Jew, a filthy Jew was always a Jew. I would have had him flogged the devil. Are you giving me drushes? You're giving drushes to the other people. I'm not here to hear drushes. So he probably said, no, no, guys, I'm trying to protect you. He said, what kind of ridiculous? Can you imagine some of listening to this? He probably had him flogged or executed on the spot for saying something as ridiculous as that, but the next morning it didn't make a difference. No one was around. And Sabacherv was around, and he realized he was right. And I should listen to the, uh, to the dirty Jew who was uh, giving me drushes about his uh, religion. But Sabacherv uh, survived. He didn't have any fear of Hashem? Uh, that's an understatement. <laughs> You're being kind. He, the only fear he had of Hashem was the next morning when he was alive and everybody was dead. He probably had lots of fear of Hashem then. You would think that would be translated into something like a story like Nebuchadnezzar, who became a Ger Tzedek, or Nebuchadnezzar, who ultimately became a bigger Russia, but then he certainly had what to think about. And when he was called upon to destroy the base of Mithras later, his first reaction was, oh no, I've been there, done that, I'm not going near these people. These are dangerous people, very powerful God, not doing it. And then Hashem had to sort of like convince him. That's for next year or the year after. But he learned a thing or two, but it, even, even the Chanetz at the end of the day, his power got to him and he became a, he became a Russian Musha and uh, it didn't really, the lessons didn't land where they were supposed to. The Pela, Gabe Pela, I get ahead of myself, but since you're asking, you would think Sanchev, at least for a day or two, a week or two, would uh, say some uh, uh, good capital, even Nebuchadnezzar, uh, even after he saw the Nes Bachalim Shabbat was about to say Shira, and the Gemara says, Amalekim and gave him a clop, because the Shira, he would have said, would have, in a way, outdone the, uh, the Shira of Dov and Amalek. So we didn't let him say anything, because he was so impressed. Sanchev, I don't know where the brains are, Sanchev went back home with his two sons, went to his base of Orozara and started bowing down and he started asking the Galochim, I don't understand, I went with 185,000 troops, I got all my gods on my side, I conquered the whole world, and then this god uh, that I hardly ever heard of, I heard of him historically, but they told me he was asleep, all of a sudden he wins, what's going on? What chus do they have to have this... So Galachim started telling him, yeah, we learned about this once, they had an ancestor, Abba Avinu, and he brought his son as a carbon, which wasn't true. He almost, <laughs> okay, they don't get everything. But that's what they told him. They said, the only thing we can figure out is uh, you never did that. And he said, okay, a done deal. Tomorrow morning I'm bringing my two sons. He only had two sons who survived over here. He had a third son, wasn't with them. And the two sons, fortunately for them, heard about the plan. And next time he bowed down that afternoon, they killed him. That's called self-defense. And that was the end of it. Couldn't imagine such a crazy ending. The guy still didn't learn. He wants to know. He's Makar. So he asked me, was he Makar Hashem? He says, yeah. He's Makar. He had 185,000 troops. He never lost a battle. And all of a sudden, everybody's dead. So they must have some schuz he didn't try yet. So he asked like Alachem. And the chief Chachamim told him, he says, did you ever sacrifice your own sons? So he said, you know, never did that yet. And fortunately for his sons, they found that first. That's one version of the Medrash. The other version is they killed him because they thought he was a shaitan and a because they recognized Hashem. And he says, you're still going to do Avodah Zarah? So they killed him just for that, which he deserved. So this is, as this unfolds, it's like uh, one thing to the next. It's, it's hard to believe that somebody would be unconvinced. Yes? Well, he was alive, so he felt like this. 
Yeah, the Yitzhahara will convince you of that. If you survive, the Hitler Yamashamai, the same, uh, same crazy thing. He, he was a runner in World War I. Uh, runners between trenches lasted a few days, a few weeks at most. And he, every time a bomb hit, he like just missed. So I think he probably describes this even in his, uh, no, Mein Kampf, he discusses this, or he just had this. Uh, he survived the bomb attack in 1944. Yeah, yeah, that too. But before, what made him, right, what made him crazier in the first place was he had a job in World War I because he was a nobody, and they gave that job to the biggest nobodies, not the smallest nobodies. And he survived that also. And we know that's not a kind of, we understand that perfectly that if Hashem makes a gzeira and the gzeira is not rescinded, even if the, the guy picked to do it, will survive any odds because he's Hashem's man. And you know what? Nebuchadnezzar also survived this and he's going to be sent to the the base of Midrash. And he even schmecked that. He said, Ah, no, I'm not. His lusha was Hashem wants me to destroy the base of Midrash, then he's going to wipe his hands on me. I'm going to get punished. I'm not interested. I've, I've seen Hashem's power. I'm not interested. I have, I have other jobs that are a lot safer. And Hashem sent him anyway. And you know what? Deep down, he wanted the job because he was a Russian Musha and he loved killing people and destroying the base of He was also not because. But he at least thought about it a little bit. Sadhayev went home. And yes, if you'd ask him, if you'd interview him the next day, uh, Your Highness, uh, what do you think of this uh, terrible disaster? It says, really bad. They won this round, but good. But I'm still here and we're going to get them. So he went to the base of Ardar and had a meeting with the Galachim. What, what else would you do? Galachim are smart, so he thought. They told him the secret ingredient of Abmavinu. Which, by the way, the interesting thing is, they weren't that wrong. There was a secret ingredient of Abmavinu. Abmavinu is willing to listen to Akash Baruch Hu and almost sacrificed his son. Had he been asked to, he would have done it. The small little problem is, I don't know if historically they knew they, he didn't do it. That's first of all. And he certainly didn't want such a thing from Samcherv. He wanted Samcherv to do tshuva of anything. And that's the other version, which is not really a steer to this version. The son's looking at him like, Dad, like... You still didn't learn. <laughs> and they, they killed him. They had to, according to the first verse, they had to run away because they're going to be executed afterwards and there was one more son who actually became the next emperor. But I get ahead of myself. We'll, uh, we, will, we will get to all of this. But Rav Shake, just as, you know, we're talking about the Pintaliyid, that's the, that's the shear, didn't move him here. He's going to talk louder. But perhaps... In the back of his head, when he heard the Shira and smelled the carbon bezach, and he came to one some Cherev, that was a made of a mixus. He told him, maybe more than mixus. He said, Your Highness, you better run. Last time they did this, they had a lot of and left Mitzrayim. Remember Paro? He was destroyed after they did this. Couldn't make this up a week before Rosh Chodesh Nissen. But this is what's going on. So, so that, that the other so it's similar then to Paro. Very similar. Paro didn't, Paro, by the way, also lost his entire army and also survived. Cicero. But over there, Sisera didn't really survive. We have no inkling that he thought he was right. He was running for the hills, literally, and then he was killed. So we don't know what... I, I have no clue that he had any hallucinations that he was really right, that he just lost as a temporary setback. He just was running. So we don't really know from Sisera either way. Paro, the good news? I don't know if there is a one. Uh, he began... <laughs> He became, uh, he became Melech of Ninveh, and at least when the next Navi showed up, he immediately got off his throne and put on sackcloth and told me to do tshuva and declared a tainus. And they said, Your Highness, what got into you? Where did you become so from? He said, It's a long story, but I've seen this before. So it's really good to cooperate. On that positive note, let's see the Peleyayats. They were very young. They were young officers in the... Uh...
as I said, Hashem, whichever Hashem, Hashem wants around, He keeps them around for a long time. Let's go to page Kuf Lamed Hey. Yes. No, he was. He was a young officer, and he saw this. He's asking. He lived a long time. He's a Basimikdash is not going to be destroyed for a while. He, no, he, saw, he was one of the four people according to one sheet that survived. So that's, that's why he didn't want to go when he was asked to go initially. Hashem Kaviyachol uh, convinced him that that was as part of his Tachas uh, Achayim. That needs a lot of Hezbo, by the way, because ultimately he was right in his Havmin and Hashem will destroy him because he destroyed the base nation, became a Russia. But there's a way, as we know from Pyro. The Rambam discusses this. Uh, Rasharma called upon to kill and destroy and enslave, and then they're punished. Well, where's the where's the bechira? So the famous answer is: even if you're there to do the job, you don't have to do it with such rizus and uh, such glee that uh, they're going to be bearers You're going to make them feel uncomfortable with the second-class citizens. You don't have to enslave them and whip them and destroy them and uh, and kill babies. That wasn't necessary. And the other shot is that uh, somebody's going to do it. It didn't have to be you. They were trying to volunteer. So Nebuchadnezzar sort of had that conversation, and he went anyway. The question is why. We're not going to get to that for, uh, until the very end of Malachim Beis. Page Kuflam and Hey, the bottom paragraph, a new entry, Halbana. Halbana is the severest of embarrassing people. Biyachid and certainly Barabim. Yadua. Bottom of Kuflam and Hey. Yadua, Chaimer. Isser, Malbim, Pnei Chaver, Barabim. Yachid is not too good either, but even Barabim, Barabim uh, might mean three. You don't need a minion here. Shein lo chel glalam abbas, considered from the worst averis, certainly in the Ben Amachaver category. Abu Razal, mutuv la adam shiapal atzma lekipshen aish, while yalbim Pnei Chaver, Barabim. Now, this Gemara Bametzia, this mutuv la adam, is an interesting lotion, and there's machlekes we shine him here. Rambam doesn't bring down the whole din. And the Acharanim want to know why. It's a Farish Gemara, Lachar without a Chaylik. So some learn the Rambam that the Rambam understood that there is a Chaylik because we know from the Gemara Sahedrin the only Gimel Averis Chamurus you have to die for. And embarrassing somebody, Barabim, is not one of them. So it must be that this Mandamar is a Mandamar and the Gemara, but we don't Pascal like it. Tesis asks the same Kasha on the Sugi, and Tesis says, no. He doesn't ask the Kasha, he provides the Kasha, and from the comment he says, he's asking this kasha, and the same kasha is, it's not Gilerash, Vichazdam, Avodazaris. It's not in the big three. So why should it be Yehar Vayavar? And Taisa says that it's included in Betzicha. The blood rushes out of the face. He's, uh, first he's trying to beat red, beat red, and then it leaves his face, and uh, he turns white, Malbim, and Haver, Lush, and Lovun. And Taisa basically is answering the kasha by saying it's part of the Gimel of Ezekhamurus, it's under Betzicha. The Rambam doesn't bring it out. Tesis says it is part. And uh, others say in the Rambam that mutuv is what gave the Rambam the signal that it's not a din, it's a chumro. Mutuv is it's better you should throw yourself in a furnace rather than have to embarrass somebody for Rabbim. The problem with that, Dafkin Shit is the Rambam, is the Rambam in Hochzi Yagbayavar holds you can't volunteer to get killed. Either you to get killed or it's also. Unless you're the Gadolador, you have to set an example. The Rambam might agree. So how do you have the word mutav? Mutav means it sounds like it's an option. If you want, you can. It doesn't say chayv, it says mutav. So that's the shayla over here. Is this halachalmaisa a din, or is it a chumrah? Is it an option? It's whatever shot you take, how it fits in with the Gemara of Ezra It's very bad. And if the Gemara even says mutav, that it's better you should do A rather than get yourself killed, rather than embarrass him, it means that 
should avoid it, avoid it at all costs or come out at all costs. And unfortunately, it's rampant. When people get into a fight, they lose it. And besides getting angry, which is from the big Averis, that lead to Avarazar and other Averis, it leads to this. They start saying things and doing things that embarrass the opponent, sometimes Barabim, and nothing stops them, and they don't realize the severity of what they're doing. And sometimes people... One guy uh, once uh, verbalized to me, I assume he was kidding, but it's not an item you joke about. He was telling me, he said, he's in a fight with somebody and he has this me doing. People start up with me, even if they say something small, I'll take a car and I'll run over him six times, back and forth, reverse, forward, reverse, forward. He wasn't the Rotseach. He was trying to show that if somebody even starts with me, I'm lahashmed lahari. So I told him, isn't that a bit overkill? He says, they'll learn next time not to start with me. So that's an Amaretz talking. There is no such heter. There's no heter. If you want to bomb Gaza, so the Yuma Zerlem would keep complaining that it's not an equivocal response. If they send out missiles that can kill people and then we drop bombs that can kill people, you don't have to count bombs. You can give a response that they shouldn't start up next time. Here, somebody insults you, you should remember what your mother taught you when you were five years old. The sticks and stones can break your bones and names can't harm you. You can't start running the guy over and screaming and yelling, if he mentions something you didn't like. It has to be, if there's any response, go back to Ashuram of Yom Naram about Nakama when the guy insulted you and hurt your feelings. Even that's Machlekes and Chavaz Chaim passes the Chumrah. So it might be this the rise of the Sikh but even if you want to say I'm defending myself, the guy shouldn't stop and he's a bully, it has to be some sort of proportional response. He said something privately, you can't be a and Barab, and that's what the Pelliades is complaining about. They start screaming, yelling, and cursing each other and embarrassing each other, they start listing all the psula yichus and all the mumim of his baba and alta baba and all the horrible secrets of the family and they start, some of it's true, some of it's not true, whatever they make, they're still embarrassing in Barab, and there's no heter for it. And they'll start digging up history from who knows when. Again, true, not true, embarrassing somebody in Barab, it doesn't make sense whether it's Messi Shem or whether it's Lashon Hara, it's still Asr. And the worst is when he's mamish making things up from thin air. When Sishemah sometimes starts as the kernel of truth and he starts embellishing Lashon Haraz when it's all true and he's just saying it, which is not mutter either. And sometimes he makes things up that Lagamre don't fit the character. He says, when you start embarrassing him, it's going to hurt more when you start saying things that are true. Because then he's going to be more embarrassed because he knows it's true and you know it's true and the people are going to be convinced it's true. So then, besides Lashon Harishabai, you're going to embarrass him Barabbim more. If he knows it's not true and he knows you know it's not true and he convinced people it's not true, at the end of the day, it'll be less embarrassing, we hope. Kemoi, top line. Which means the blood's going to drain, he's going to be white. And the people don't realize the severity of this, and therefore they won't do tshuva. I just said things. I was angry, he was angry, so I embarrassed him. So what? I didn't, I didn't hit him. And if it's true, he'll feel very vindicated that he insulted me and said something about my, my grandfather. 
I can say something about his, and it's true. And Chazal, as he said, whether it's Dafka, Yarvayavar, it's not, it's a Chumrah, Chazal, look at this particular Avayavar, Baris Samadhi Barabim, usually comes the middle of a fight, or as Nakama from something he said or he did, as the Chamur Shebe Chamurus. There was, a, to bring an example just from the Geishavelt, there was a, um, a famous company. Public Trader Corporation, I won't mention the name, because there might have been some Yidin involved. It's not particularly a Yiddish company. And I remember years ago, they were in the middle of an internal fight, and they took out, this is unusual even for, even for corporate America and their fights in internal politics, they took out full-page ads in the New York Times about specific members, the CEO, the CFO, that, with pictures of him with full-page, they paid for full-page ad. You know what a full-page ad? They... There were individuals involved in the fight, paid a full page ad. That's the classic example of Malbin Echaver Barabim. I hope nobody reads that uh, rag of a paper, but uh, there are people, they do circulate somewhere. And uh, the whole world woke up the next morning, and there was a full page ad with this guy, and they were, not only had his picture, they were Machar. I don't even know why that was legal. I guess they countersued for life. I'm not exactly sure. But <laughs> somebody, I, the reason I know the story is this, there was a from guy in the. Uh, in the company at the time, he was a large shareholder, and uh, he said he can't believe it's going. He told me the next day, he said, you know what they did last night? He says, they mamish embarrassed him, it wasn't him, the guy talking to me, he said, they mamish embarrassed him. I said, uh, it's a guy? He said, yes, yeah. the guy did it. He said, probably never learned the sugi. Mamish came out taking a full page ad in the paper? <laughs> this, uh, but it's been done, and people in a fight don't uh, control themselves. Mitzvah Shem will continue next week.